broadband. We need it for work and for school, for our health and our economy. What's being done to bring broadband internet access within reach of every American? Let's talk about it now on Rural Broadband Today. Here's your host, Stephen Smith. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rural Broadband Today. Uh, this is a special episode as I welcome our guest, uh, Mr. Fred Johnson. Fred is the CEO and Executive Vice President of FTC, which is uh, the local telecommunications cooperative that uh, I'm actually sitting on a gig network here conducting this uh, this podcast interview and uh, how we run our company. And FTC has been a longtime uh, partner for uh, Word South and helps uh, drive the connections uh, that my family enjoy every, every day. Uh, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Great business partner over the years. Thank you, sir. Well, certainly in the news and what we're uh, the topic we're talking about today is the uh, the CARES Act has allocated uh, money across the nation to uh, help the country re- uh, experience some relief and economic security from from the um, outcome of the coronavirus. And in the state of Alabama, the CARES Act has appropriated uh, $1.9 billion, which our state has divided into 10 categories, leaving about $300 million set aside for technology and infrastructure, which uh, uh, relates to broadband. Uh, Fred, you have been uh, placed on a uh, broadband working group uh, by Governor Kay Ivey to take a look at how those funds might be used uh, to help solve the rural broadband challenge. Uh, give us a little bit of idea, uh, your thoughts on that. I know that working committee has uh, has had at least one meeting so far. Just kind of give us an update there. All right. Probably the easiest way for me to do that, uh, and it's it's a very positive assessment, uh, and I'll, I'll try to make sure I'm clear as to why I think it's a positive assessment. Um, but I'll speak first of all to process. I think the governor was very wise to to constitute a panel of stakeholders across the the waterfront of the broadband community to help with the decisions. And as a part of that, uh, she chose Director Boswell of ADECA uh, to lead the group. And ADECA has been so involved in what I consider to be a very successful program thus far of expanding broadband across the state of Alabama, I think it was a very good choice to let him lead this group uh, because of ADECA's expertise uh, and resources that they can bring to bear. The first thing we've done, uh, which I, I, I think is the, the part of the process that I'm very pleased with, is we've identified the various needs, and, and they're really simple. Yes, we have an issue with access to broadband facilities in large portions of the state, mostly rural areas. But you also have the issue of affordability uh, because there are a lot of places in this state where you've got top-notch facilities, but you have an affordability problem and people are simply not able to afford the service uh, that is available to them. And then you have a device-related issue. And, and, And on all three of those issues, the state of Alabama faces significant challenges. And you really can't approach the broadband issue uh, primarily from a, a distance learning perspective in the middle of a crisis like this without looking at all three of those areas, access to the network, affordability of the network, and then making sure that the school children involved 
dog have access to devices which actually allow them to use it in a desired way. And the task force has, has started out with a good understanding of that uh, and is doing its best to assess in, in connection with the Department of Education uh, what each of those needs are and working on the best solutions for it. Now, we've got a lot of challenges, and I'm sure you want to talk about those here in just a few moments. But, but I've got a very positive uh, uh, appreciation of the way things have started out under Director Boswell's leadership. Again, I compliment the, the governor on assembling a group of stakeholders with a very clear charge. And thus far, uh, I'm pleased to report that I think uh, we're making progress without anyone getting particular interest ahead of the common goal, which is to make sure we take care of uh, primarily our, our students, and but yet also our workforce much of which has been required to work from home. And so all of those issues factor in there again. Uh, but the primary one, of course, is the immediate need for education this fall. So that's a good, that's, that's the best way I know to start out. So what would you, uh, what would you say the committee, uh, the working group has identified as, say, the top three uh, challenges, particularly as they pertain to education? Uh, well, I guess, keep in mind, I'm, I'm giving you the provider perspective on this. Uh, so clearly, I go back to the three things. First of all, is there access to a system, a facilities capable of delivering broadband at the levels you need to accomplish, for example, the state's statewide virtual learning platform that was just announced last week? Then you've got the issue of affordability, which is a big issue and one that, quite frankly, uh, I don't mind championing when I get a chance as well because that's one that's easy to overlook but is still very important. And then, of course, at the end, you've also got to deal with that device products, uh, device issue. So from a broadband provider's perspective, that's naturally what I, what I focus on now. Very quickly, you start getting in and starting, you start getting into the, to the weeds and start having to identify uh, the answers to questions like what should be the eligibility for uh, assistance with affordability? What, what eligibility levels? Do you go by something like, uh, qualification for free lunches? Do you follow the same rules for the federal lifeline program? All of those things are ripe for discussion and will be, will be covered. And then I appreciate the challenges my educational colleagues have to face with this. You can't just give kids a device. And, and that's a common misconception that a lot of folks don't quite understand. There are issues. Once you give a, a student in Alabama a device that is owned by a local education uh, establishment, um, well, you've got some responsibility that goes on with that because that device can't just be an unfettered device that anybody can do whatever they want to with. So there are just a lot of challenges that have to be worked through, and regrettably, the time period for doing that is extremely short. But nonetheless, they're very real challenges, and you got to address all of those. Will... Uh, is there conversation yet about whether this money will work into uh, and work through the existing uh, broadband grant program that the state developed and that you were instrumental in helping make pass? Well, that's an extremely good question, uh, and that's where we have to uh, we, we have to start bifurcating the issues. Um, so I'll, I'll do the best I can, and I'll try to do it simply first, and then if you want to drill deeper, we can. I think the easiest way for anyone who's really interested in understanding this issue at a very granular level, you need to assume there are two completely separate paths. First of all, the legislature of Alabama, especially the legislature led by uh, House Majority Leader Ledbetter in the House, 
um, as, as well as, as Representative Shedd from over around Coleman. And then on the Senate side, Senate uh, Pro Tem Marsh, uh, Majority Leader Reed, uh, Senator Clay Schofield, uh, with the uh, very good support of uh, Minority Leader Singleton, have provided what I consider to be extremely good legislative leadership on all of the broadband accessibility grant program thus far. And that work continues on a parallel track. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted to see the level of legislative leadership uh, and attention to detail on the part of our legislature on that part of it, which I define loosely as the grant program as it currently exists and as it may exist in the future. And I want to be very specific. Why do I appreciate their work? Well, first of all, they've taken extremely strident steps to uh, making sure that they understand the root issues of providing broadband. They've done so in a way that I don't think unfairly favors one provider or one technology over another. And they've done an extremely good job of making sure that Alabama taxpayer dollars go where they are needed and not for duplicative overbuilding uh, or just artificial competition. Now, that's a mouthful for me to say. It's an even bigger task for them to have actually pulled off. But in my opinion, there are those that might disagree with me, but I think they've showed extremely good um, uh, wisdom in formulating a grant program that effectively takes Alabama taxpayer dollars and gives them the most bang for the buck. Now, that, like I said, that process is underway and continues, and I expect there to be some really good things come of that in the, in the, in the next few years as well. At the same time, Governor Ivey has got to deal with the issue of the CARES funding, which she's appointed this, this working group to help her with, and do so in a very short time frame that lends itself to immediate solutions. For example, we saw the announcement earlier this week about Wi-Fi-enabled school buses, which I think is a very good step in the right direction for the immediate need. But that program as it stands today, requires that dollars be spent, projects completed, everything completely done by the end of the year. Well, you can't start from scratch, design, engineer, build, test, and put into service a robust wireline broadband network of any size in six months. You, you'll do well to do it in two years, which is the typical guideline for broadband grants. So you've got two tracks. You need to keep them separately in your mind. And understand the legislature is doing what it does best in working through the appropriation and design of a, of, a, of a grant program. And the governor, I think, is doing an excellent job at working towards taking care of the immediate needs with as much of the CARES Act money as possible. And I, and I hope that all made sense. Yes, yes, that, that did. Thank you for that explanation. Um, when it comes to figuring out what to do with the CARES Act funding, uh, particularly as it pertains to broadband. Uh, you know, every state's dealing with that. Do you know if there's been any communication uh, regionally, possibly, uh, between states looking at some best practices and, and maybe some what others are doing? Or is this timeline just too fast? Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, states are paying attention to what, especially their neighbors are doing, there is a dialogue among the provider networks, of course, across the country, comparing notes with what are happening in various states. But everybody is, is, is challenged by the central question of how can we best spend this money 
in a manner that is fully compliant with the congressional intent, congressional legislation, treasury guidance, um, within the time frame specified. And again, I can't stress enough, regardless of what Congress may or may not have intended, the rules are such that this money's got to be spent and spent in a hurry to relieve immediate needs. And, and I think there's plenty of opportunities to do that. But I also think you will see some states push the envelope and do things that may later be called into question. It is my opinion from everything I have observed that Governor Ivey's administration is intent on doing it right. And quite frankly, I, I compliment them on that. Uh, that seems to be a commitment from everybody involved. Ward South works with uh, some clients who have uh, recently, in their broadband build-outs, um, e- expressed a bit of a challenge in accessing material, maybe as much as you know a six-month delay. And that's before all these uh, states are looking at how to spend very quickly to have a quick impact these, uh, these CARES Act monies, not to mention the, um, the natural momentum that was, was already taking place to build new broadband networks. When you look at the material needs, the needs for construction crews, engineering talent, um, you know, network specialists, do you think we are prepared to spend this kind of money as a state and as a nation this quickly? Uh, what, what kind of challenges are we going to run into? And, and, and frankly, do you think it's possible? Well, you have, you have nailed it far more accurately than you might think. Uh, there is no question about it. Prior to the pandemic, uh, there was a very clear movement across, and I'm just going to say rural America because that's, that's our area of expertise, but there's evidence that this was going on in areas other than rural America. But there's no question that the importance of, of broadband uh, is more uh, clear. Uh, it was before the pandemic. It's even more clear now. We had some very good decisions out of the FCC, which gave our industry a lot of stability and and the ability to plan longer term. We had some extremely good public policy, actually one of them, the the USDA RUS Reconnect program, which was shepherded through the House by Congressman Adderholt, um, put a lot of of well-intentioned and well-designed money into rural broadband development. And you were seeing a ramp up of it, just like you point out before the pandemic emerged. Uh, now you've got all of that on top of it that certainly crosses the urban-rural uh, divide even more quickly. And you have supply chain issues that are tied directly not to the enhanced demand for broadband, but to the, the, the global impacts of the pandemic, especially on the electronics end. And then you have just the normal challenges that you have. I mean, let's, let's, let's face it. Uh, there are only so many contractors that were serving rural America and rural telcos and rural broadband providers, uh, and they, they, they all had a pretty heavy demand upon their time. And that's even worse now. So to get right to the heart of your question, uh, it would be very difficult, and it is going to be very difficult um, to, uh, to, to uh, execute large construction projects uh, on anything short of a of a somewhat longer than I'll say normal time frame, FTC, for example, is already looking at potential construction projects three and four years out 
just so that we can make sure that we uh, uh, have provided contractors that are working for us the ability to plan and count on us, uh, even though we have a full construction schedule already scheduled for 24 months. So, yes, there are going to be problems. And, yes, that presents a unique challenge to the CARES Act money, which must be spent by the end of the year. But, again, go back to those three things that I told you. You also got affordability issues and device issues that provide an opportunity uh, for some relief there as well. That's true. That's true. The, the, all this money does not necessarily have to be spent on building out new fiber, but helping people access that that's already out there. That's exactly right. And, you know, in the midst of a crisis, when you have immediate needs and when you have uh, time limits and everybody's stressed to begin with and we're having to do so many things remotely, it's really easy to forget about things. But you, you, common sense, you have to keep a handle on it. It does you no good if you make sure that there's a broadband connection into a home and that the, the 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 family can afford it, but the child has no device to use in his home. And a lot of folks, there are so many people that have devices that they forget that it's not just a device. It's got to be the right kind of device. And that's something that's easy to to forget, especially when you're among the group that always has access to those devices. And so we keep we we keep ringing that bell every chance we get. Mm, that's a very good point. Uh, we're having this conversation the uh, first full week in, in uh, July, and uh, you have had, I believe, one meeting of the broadband working group. What is the next step for that group? What does that timeline look like? And what do you hope comes out of this group as a report back to the governor? Uh, I would say probably the number one uh, task at the moment, and, and I would certainly defer to Director Boswell and uh, finance director Kelly and some of those folks, um, uh, b- because I understand and appreciate deeply the level of detail and caution that they're having to exercise to get this right so that Alabama doesn't spend something that Congress eventually wants back, our Treasury wants back. But uh, ADECA was already engaged in a very intensive study uh, to try to understand the need, especially for facilities better than is possible to do with all other available data. Uh, at the same time, and I must give credit where credit is due to State Superintendent Mackey and his uh, aides and staff in helping with that issue as well. So I would say that there is what I consider to be very good collaboration at the moment between the State Departments of Education and, and ADECA at defining um, solvable problems. Let me let me let me use that phrase: solvable problems. Better understanding what we can do without question and what may have the most impact. And I think you saw the first episode of that when we had the contracts for extending Wi-Fi hotspots through school buses. That's a good first step, and there are some more that will probably follow. So right now, I would say the priority is on really identifying the, the, the needs that can be met first while we simultaneously look on the look for solutions on the slightly longer-term problems. Okay, great. Have they, um, have they given, has the governor given the working group a uh, timeline for a report, a deadline? Uh, I, it, 
I, I won't speculate as to what she may have privately communicated uh, to ADECA, uh, but most of the work is being done post-haste, just as fast as possible. And I would say that there are some de facto timelines. Uh, the first one would be there, there are some things that, that, that may try to be done by the time school starts for certain. Uh, and then if there is talk of legislative sessions, special sessions in either September, October, or November, incrementally there may be some things that need to be worked out by that group prior to uh, calling a special session so that if, if the governor should call the legislature back in to deal with any of these issues, they have as clear a picture as possible. But again, I think there's some actually really good work going on at the administrative and legislative leadership level to make sure that that, that happens. Good. That's encouraging. Let's take a, a step back in closing, Fred. And uh, you, you you have spent the bulk of your career uh, working in the, the rural telephony business. And uh, you were there when the dial-up became a thing. and. Uh, ADSL might be a thing. Nope, DSL's the thing. Uh, let's put some fiber in. And uh, to the point that that connection is such uh, an integral part of everyone's everyday lives. And uh, those who do not have that are definitely now at a disadvantage. And it's, and it's more clear now than ever. Uh, stepping back and from your perspective of your career, how would you assess this moment that we find ourselves in with what really is a watershed moment with the with the greatest clarity that we've ever had of just how essential uh, broadband connectivity is. Well, you and I have worked together for many years. You, you obviously know where my passions lie, and uh, you you know what buttons to push. So, I'll I'll try to answer you briefly, so you don't have to push the off button. But I, I have reflected quite a bit in the last few months. Uh, over the impact that the founders of this cooperative and the founders of Sand Mountain Electric and some other uh, critical infrastructure components had on me as a high school student. And, and I, I, we've also had to hire a, a number of, of new employees due to retirements and that sort of thing. And I always review the story of FTC with them. And it all comes back to this. Uh, in the late 40s and early 50s, there were men and women, and it, and it was, it was men and women, uh, who saw the need for critical infrastructure if the region was going to, to prosper and offer uh, an affordable and meaningful quality of life to those who wanted to live here, work here, raise their families here. And because of that vision and that commitment to executing the mission that flowed from it, uh, you know, we're here and we've done that. And now we suddenly find ourselves on the next cusp of the communications revolution. And it's clear to everybody that, that broadband connectivity is just as important to the infrastructure, the economic infrastructure of the community uh, over the next coming decades. Uh, uh, we don't have to talk about how many decades or century or whatever. Uh, all we have to say is it's as important to the coming decades as telephony and rural electrification and rural water were back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And FTC is fortunate. Within 18 months, we'll have a 100% fiber network. We're already there to 95% of our members. Uh, and we'll be 100% within uh, about 18 months. And so we will have delivered on that. And so naturally, our our, our focus shifts 
uh, to keeping that alive, breathing, state-of-the-art for as long as, as we can see on the horizon. And then also looking at adjacent areas that don't have the opportunity to take service from us that, that hopefully, with the right kind of public policy support, that we can venture into in the coming years to extend that quality of infrastructure. But we've provided that infrastructure for all of DeKalb, all of Jackson, and all of Marshall County that, that we are responsible for, that our existing footprint is in. And that is something for which we are immensely grateful to have had the opportunity to do, and we are committed to keeping it alive and breathing. So it's a, it's a cool moment to be in the, the industry. It's cool to look back and see the impact that Vision had years ago, and it calls us to want to have the same kind of vision and dedication to mission now for the future that they had uh, for their future, which is our present. And so that's a, that, that's, that's the fun part of this job. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, FTC certainly has a uh, wonderful story and, and we're, we're certainly proud to be part of that story and to be benefiting today from uh, the hard work and leadership that those founding members those uh, founding board members and community folks who got out and did all the hard work to, uh, to form this cooperative. Um, Fred, hopefully we can uh, check back as this uh, working group continues uh, at the task. And uh, here in a few months, we can do an update and let folks know what Alabama is doing and, and um, look forward to some great things there. I appreciate you joining us today on uh, Rural Broadband Today. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Take care. And you've been listening to Rural Broadband Today. My guest is Fred Johnson, CEO and Executive Vice President of FTC. Until next time, I'm your host, Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening in. Rural Broadband Today is a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.